0: Jesus real this power in your name we fall when we trust in Your ways. we need you Jesus real
1: we need to say God this is the generation you have blessed me to be a part of And God, I'm going to do my part in making this world a more livable place in Jesus' name until you return. And if that's in five minutes, five years, 50 years, or 5,000 years, God's people will always be doing the work of the kingdom
0: of occupying until he comes. Joseph certainly was the right man in the right place at the right time for Egypt and the surrounding countries. If he'd been busy with a pity party when he was sold into slavery by his brothers, things would have turned out way different for that whole region. Pastor Daniel will be teaching about the importance of living your life in such a way that you will be prepared for things that God has planned for you, but you know nothing about yet. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 41 as he begins his message, Brothers in Egypt.
1: All right, how's everyone doing? All right, great. Let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Genesis. If it's your first time, cracking open a Bible. Don't be scared. It's the very first book. Just open it up. We're picking up in Genesis chapter 41. I was on a marathon trying to get three chapters done, and I fell about 15 verses short. I'm going to try and do, I think, four chapters. And I'm doing that... Primarily because this is a narrative, and so things are moving along, and there's a pace at which the Spirit was inspiring this text. And so, if you remember where we were, we found Joseph was in Egypt, and Joseph... Started in Potiphar's house. He rose in prominence and authority. And then Potiphar's wife made false accusations against Joseph. And then Joseph ended up in jail. And he started on the bottom again. And God was with Joseph every step of the way. And then Joseph rose in prominence and authority. And he interpreted the butler and the baker's dreams. And then if you remember, when they got out, he said, Listen, don't forget me. But they forgot him. And then sure enough, when Pharaoh had a dream... About the seven fat calves and the seven skinny calves and then the seven really plump stalks of grain and the seven blighted stalks of grain. Nobody could interpret the dream. And then they remembered about this man named Joseph. They brought Joseph out and Joseph interpreted the dream. Not only did Joseph interpret the dream, but God also gave Joseph The wisdom as to how to deal with it. Now, I I thought about this after we left in that oftentimes God doesn't tell us the future or give us a lens into what's going on in the future so we can wipe our hands with it. He does it so that we are armed with information on how to navigate it. I think a third of our Bible is prophetic and we're coming out of a time. And I say we're coming out of it because for a long time, the church was obsessed with the end times And every time someone write a book, and it'd be like, this is the end time scenario. And what's amazing is, is we're still here. And for a long time, people kind of had this mindset that, well, if it's all going to go to hell, let's just let it. And you know what? That actually is not what God wants us to do with that information. He doesn't want us to say, oh, you know, no big deal. God wants to say, no, it's a big deal. And we know that at some point Jesus is coming back. And we know at some point these things are going to happen. But until those things happen, we need to be the best stewards of our lives possible. We need to say, God, this is the generation you have blessed me to be a part of. And God, I'm going to do my part in making this world a more livable place in Jesus' name until you return. And if that's in five minutes, five years, 50 years, or 5,000 years... God's people will always be doing the work of the kingdom, occupying until he comes. Joseph knew what was coming, but he also had a plan. He's like, listen, 20% of all the grain, you're going to take it and you're going to store it for the whole seven years of plenty. Then when the seven years of famine come, you're going to have everything that you need. Now, it would be interesting especially given the economic realities of our days, if we took this kind of counsel to heart, which means that in your times of plenty, make sure you plan for the times of lack. It's wisdom. Do you remember in this, when Pharaoh elevates Joseph, he's like, we do not have a guy who has wisdom in the spirit of God. It's wisdom to have foresight, to be thinking ahead. And Joseph does that. So pick up in verse 37 of Genesis 41. Notice it says, So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this man in whom is the spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and he put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And he cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man will lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah and gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now, what's beautiful about this is Pharaoh elevates Joseph He likes his advice. He realizes that the spirit of God is within him. And he says, Joseph, you're the guy. And Pharaoh begins to lavish Joseph with gifts. He gave him the signet ring. Now, the signet ring in that day was the equivalent of somebody's signature on the dotted line so it was a ring and when a landowner or somebody would buy something they would put a little wax on it, and they put their signet ring on it and you'd know it was theirs like my grandfather Anthony Cappadona, he has a gold ring with an AC on it and I know I'm like grandpa that's for Atlantic City right so those of you from New Jersey get the reference I mean he's Italian so of course Atlantic City but AC for and that was his ring he got it from his father, and he gave it to his son, you know, the whole thing. It's the signet ring. It's the ring of authority. And in a lot of ways, this is exactly what Jesus has done with his church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's Matthew 16, 19. So just the way Pharaoh bestowed his authority to Joseph, Jesus did the same to us. Notice. He gave him fine linen garments. It makes you think of the robes of righteousness, right? Where Jesus takes off our filthy clothes and robes us with new clothes. He puts a gold chain around his neck. It's interesting. Joseph came to Egypt in iron fetters, and now he's got some gold bling. Compliments of the Pharaoh. I love this. Joseph gets a sit in the second chariot. Brothers and sisters... This is where we get to be. I think of, there's a man named Brian Head Welsh, who was in a heavy metal supergroup called Corn, And this guy got radically saved out of all sorts of immorality, you name it. He was involved in it. And it's interesting that his ministry is called I Am Second. And for you and I, we live in a world where everyone's like, I'm number one. Look out for number one. I'm number one. No, no, as Christians, we say, no, we're number two. Jesus is number one. We're content with the second chair. We don't want the first chair. We give Jesus the place of primacy and we happily take the second seat and we're just stoked to be there. Because we give Jesus that place of authority in our lives. It's amazing that when Pharaoh cruises around with Joseph in the second chariot, Pharaoh cries out, bow the knee. The source of Joseph's authority is a greater authority. Same is true for us. Our authority as Christians come from the authority of Jesus. And he bestows it upon us. Joseph has total authority. He gets a new name, Zaphonathpaniah, which is Egyptian most likely for God speaks and he lives. That's what it means. Kind of a cool testimony, huh? Pharaoh calls Joseph, God speaks and he lives. Not only that, Joseph gets a wife. This woman named Aseneth. So we find out that she's from the city of On. Her father was a priest. So, I mean, Joseph has gone once again from riches to rags to riches. Now he's blessed. He's absolutely blessed. Now, look at what happens. In verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Now... In verse 46, we realize that Joseph is now 30 years old. When all this began in Genesis 37, verse 2, Joseph is 17 years old when he has the dreams that end up leading to his brothers getting mad at him. Now, if you realize this, then what this teaches us is that for Joseph, this was about a 13-year ordeal. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I realize that we live in an immediate culture But God is not subservient to our immediacy of a culture. God's timing is different. And for some of us, there are long seasons of issue. There's a long germination time from the time a trial begins until it has its fulfillment. And so I bring this up because in a congregation this size, And with an innumerable multitude listening online or listening to the message in the future, I want to tell you, be patient. God is with you. You can imagine that Joseph, after about 13 minutes, was like, all right already, God. Do we really have to do this? But it was 13 years from the issues with his brother when they began until he ended up in second in charge in all of Egypt. 13 years is a long time for us. But in the God's scope of eternity, it's just a blink. And we have to ask God for the ability to view things in the long view, to take the eternal vantage point, as opposed to our very narrow, specific vantage point of our linear experience of time. Oftentimes, what God is doing is way bigger than we realize that we are one piece in something much bigger. So you realize, because we have the vantage point of the entire Bible, that Joseph being in Egypt, Jacob and his family is going to end up in Egypt. And then after 400 years, then all of a sudden they're going to get delivered out of it, and everything's going to change for them. So Joseph is just one piece in a much bigger story. We are all part of a bigger story. And we have to remember that. That we are important to God. Our lives and stories are important, but we're also part of something much bigger than ourselves. And we want to have that vantage point of the long view of eternity, that we are part of God's greater story. And sometimes in God's story, we end up playing a part that is different than what we're expecting. I think of someone like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Roger Udarian, these Man, they were young. They were in their early 20s. They wanted to be missionaries in South America. And they went on down there. And you guys probably have heard the story. They landed their plane on the beach and they got clubbed to death. They were young, very young. And that's kind of a terrifying story to tell the night before I fly to Africa with the teeth from our church. And thank God I'm not feeling very prophetic right now. But what's interesting is that these men gave up their lives, but these men's lives actually became the siren call of the modern missions movement. Because some of these men's wives went back into the tribe and brought the gospel to the tribe, and the story of these young godly men who felt called of God to do cross-cultural missions at the expense of their lives ended up birthing a revolution in missions in the West. And we could say, oh, it's terrible, and it was. I mean, there was young fathers. They had young wives and young children. But God had such a bigger plan. And I think that if Jim Elliott and Nate Saint were standing here today, they'd say, praise God, that us going home to be with Jesus birthed a much larger movement than we ever could have done. Now, that's what happens when you take the long view. When you say, I'm going to step outside of my circumstances and I'm going to see that I'm part of something greater, something bigger. And it's not my story. It's God's story. And God, I just want to be a player in that. Whatever plan you have. So, A 13-year trial. Now, it's interesting, during the seven years of plenty, they do exactly what Joseph said. They're collecting so much grain. There's so much grain, it's like the sand of the seashore. So just as Joseph had said that there would be seven years of plenty, there was. And there was so much grain stored up, they didn't even know what was going on. Now, as you go into verse 50 of Genesis 41... And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and my father's house. And that name Manasseh literally means making forgetful. In verse 52, in the name of the second, he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And Ephraim literally means fruitfulness. So we find that Joseph bears two sons. Now, why is this important? Because you're going to find in Genesis chapter 48 that Jacob is in effect going to adopt Joseph's two sons as his own. So what's interesting, and I'm just going to throw this out here for those of you who have curious biblical minds. I hope that all of you do. But just tuck this piece of information in there. What's interesting is that Jacob had 12 sons, right? But when you read the lists of the 12 tribes of Israel, sometimes Joseph is named, and other times Ephraim and Manasseh are named for all these different reasons. So although Jacob had 12 sons, there's actually technically 13 tribes. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, of course, in the New Testament, how many disciples did Jesus choose? 12 right? But one committed suicide, right? And what'd they do? They picked up Matthias in Acts chapter one. And then, of course, the apostle Paul was an apostle as well. By chance that there's actually 13 apostles? No. It all fits together. It doesn't always make sense why to us, but it all fits. Just as there are, in effect, 13 tribes of Israel, because of the adoption of Ephraim and Manasseh by Jacob, they choose Matthias, and the Apostle Paul comes in later as well. Very fascinating. What's also interesting, just as a piece of biblical information, because he comes up, Ephraim. If you recall, and we're going to get there in about 30 years, but, <laughs> but after Solomon, the 12 tribes split up into the north and south to what is most commonly called Israel and Judah. The 10 northern tribes are called Israel. The two southern tribes are called Judah. What's interesting is that out of the 10 northern tribes, the tribe of Ephraim is the largest. And when you read the prophetic books, they talk about Ephraim also. Because Ephraim, because he was the largest tribe, became symbolic of the 10 northern tribes. Just the way Judah, the two southern tribes, Judah was the largest. And that's why... They get those designations. So it's interesting that when you're reading the prophetic books and it talks about Ephraim, the idea is the 10 northern tribes. But because Ephraim is the largest, it gets the place of prominence there. But that's where he comes from. Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, continuing in verse 53. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine Began to come as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands. But in the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished. The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians. Go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over All the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. Because the famine was severe in all the lands. Now you see this. Seven years of plenty. Seven years of famine. There is an implication that I want to make for this. Is that it's not always mountaintop time with God. There are mountaintop seasons And there are valley seasons. Some people call it the difference between manifestation and hiddenness. What this means is that just as we have the changing of the seasons in the way God created the world, there are also seasons in our spiritual lives. And for most of us, we just want it to be summer all the time. We just want it to be nice and warm, sunny. Perfect. But realistically speaking, there are times of feasting and there are times of mourning. And that's just part of life. And I think the key for us is to remember that we can worship God in the storms and in the valleys with the same fervency than when we're in the mountaintop and when it's summertime. But that is a decision of the will. See, I remember when I was coming up, to crossroads a lot last year in the winter time, right? I was taken off from San Francisco. It's foggy, right? But then you get up above the cloud cover, and what is it? It's sunny. And then, of course, you come on down into Portland, and you guys know what it's like. It's kind of misty. But what's amazing is every time you look up, even though it looks cloudy, you know that the sun is above the clouds. That's not there by chance. That's by design. So if you're in here today and you are in a cloudy season, a season of hiddenness, a season of famine in your soul, still choose to praise the God who still exists above the cloud cover. Don't let your circumstances blind you from the reality that the sun is still shining. God was still God when the famine hit in Egypt. God was still God when it was a time of plenty. So the seven years of famine hit, but the Egyptians are prepared. God had already shown them what to do. Joseph had done it. People start freaking out. There's no bread. Go to Joseph and do whatever he says. And Joseph starts to bring out the grain because he was prepared. He used foresight, forethought. You notice that at the end, verse 57, so all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Now, this, of course, sets the stage for what's going to happen next. Now, look at what happens in Genesis chapter 42. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Jesus is...
0: Pastor Daniel showed how the Bible really is a book that can speak to all of life. The idea of setting up a rainy day fund comes from what happened in Egypt in this story. We also heard about Joseph getting a wife and having kids, the fruit of Joseph's faithfulness to God and to his way of living life. We may not all attain the leadership of a country, but blessings await us as we live our lives in dependence on God. Hey everybody! Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads
1: Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads.
0: Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his teaching, Brothers in Egypt. The years of plenty have come to an end. The time of famine has begun. As the effect of the famine begins to be felt around the world, we're going to hear how Joseph's family back in Canaan is dealing with it. They make the reasonable decision to travel to Egypt where they've heard food is, and buy some for themselves. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Brothers. Next time. Until then, may God bless.